There you go. Uh, live stream and recording. So theoretically, we should be live. Uh, welcome to another CEO Wisdom Podcast with Kuhn van der Hoydink. Uh, I, pr I well practice the <laughs> Very well pronunciation done. there. And I'm hearing myself. So I am muting YouTube. There you go. Kuhn is an interesting guy, uh, people. He's the founder and CEO at The Connector. Exciting to have him on today. He's also an author. He is live from uh, Belgium, which I've been to, beautiful country, but not uh, not enough good weather, according to me and, and Kuhn. Uh, but Kuhn, I'm really happy to have you on. Tell us a bit more about yourself and your background. Oh, Charles, that would be a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, really nice to be on your podcast. And uh, even better to be streaming live, because that's always more fun. So yeah. My name is Kun, and you pronounce that really, really well. Um, I actually live in Leuven, which is uh, very close to Brussels. So that's uh, where the beer is coming from. Everyone knows Stella Artois. That's actually brewing in my Very city. good beer. Yes, indeed. So what does the connector? The connector is um, it's an organization. We know about seven people and we help companies to scale specifically in the financial industry into Europe. So we are a bridge between buyers and sellers, sellers being innovation, the buyers of the financial institutions. I see you work with a lot of companies here on your LinkedIn. I love that because it, yeah, you, you have like the direct experience of who you work with. I was thinking to do that. The only problem with my LinkedIn profile is that I already have a bunch of startup of mine and my 78 experiences would go to 140 um so yeah but tell us a bit more about uh, what you do precisely because i see social media as a service uh what type of clients you work with what do you do for them how much do you charge tell us a bit more about the business itself oh yeah i love to so um well when i became an entrepreneur which is about four or five years ago um that's where i did some scaling literally inside of a fintech so i was uh, the ceo for internationalization and we basically grew the company from about 30 financial institutions up to 150 in seven countries in less than three years. So that was a real, real nice experience. But while doing it, I also discovered a few flaws because I sort of realized that one, it's very expensive to do scaling. Two, it's when you actually get the money from the VC on your bank account. This is when you need to perform, but frankly, what you can do is you can pull out a little bit of digital marketing, but what it really comes to, especially if you're in a B2B arena like I am in the financial industry, then you throw people at the end because you throw people that know other people. It's about network. It's about who you know and how good you know, that you know them and how much they trust you. So that's why scaling becomes something very, very expensive if you talk uh, about scaling a fintech into Europe or more countries. And that's why we sort of fragmented our sales process. And we tend to think that today with our offering, we can, for maybe a fifth of the price of a salesperson, we can give a lot more throughput than one salesperson ever can do. And what, how does that translate? It's about, we do about 50 events per year, obviously in the FinTech space, so that these are events uh, all over Europe, but also globally. We have ongoing conversations with banks because a super interesting effect happened is because uh, we are no longer seen as a salesperson. We're not selling one product. 
we're basically selling over 20 different products. So we, we're selling insights, we're selling trends, we, we're selling whatever what's really ongoing at the moment. So when we were selling one thing, see it as a glass of water. Everyone come to you as for water, but then we add a tea, coffee, well, beer from Leuven, and eventually people see us as a bar. And hell yeah, the banks love to come and get some gossip from the bar. And, and that's drunk. what we're doing as well. Yeah. And ooh, get drunk. So that's what's happening. They actually come to us and we have ongoing conversations. But this is a marvelous sales opportunity because we're not necessarily doing sales with them. We're exchanging knowledge. We have an open conversation. But at the end, there is still the buyer and the seller. And there is a need that needs to be fulfilled. And that's what we actually provide. And all of that, for depending where you do it in certain regions, it's starting as from 3,500 euros. So that's roughly the same in dollars. So if you recalculate that, that, that becomes very cheap if you compare that to an actual salesperson. Love the model. So 3,500 euros per month plus 10% commission if that's you right. get them deals, right? Yeah. We still salespeople, so we're still driven by success. And that's why the commission structure comes in. Hey, deals, whether these banks become clients or these banks become investors? Oh, it can be both. Um, usually it's the client side. I mean, if you look at the moment, what's happening in the industry, the, the money, the fintech money has been drying out or has been dried out well, due to obvious economical reasons. So a lot of the fintechs are struggling. So you could even say that uh, we are as atypical to the cycle because uh, it's right now that they need to perform to stay alive. And that's why it's more expensive to get a salesperson. So somehow it makes sense to work with us. So yes, there is a lot of business done by the with the banks. I love the model because the more clients you get, the more the ecosystem becomes valuable and vice versa on the yeah. other side of the banks. It's kind of a nickel system, some kind of community. Where did you get the idea? Well, I sort of got it. Um, there was a couple of aha moments uh, while the idea was forming. And I guess the first one was, um, as we all in, I think everyone in life is a sort of a salesperson. But when I was thinking and, and looking at myself going to a conference and I was selling one product, well, maybe the glass of water, I realized that uh, by counting, doing a tally exercise, that maybe only 5% was actually interested to drink water on that event, i.e. to buy the product I was selling. So at the same time, I realized there's 95% that of your time, of your investments that you're not using for that company. So I thought, maybe I can put some other companies on top of that because my head is big enough to actually be able to distinguish different companies and, and really identify who's actually needing what type of service. That was the first one. And then the second one was um, literally when I had to do sales, I figured out that trust was so important and it takes time. There is a saying, it's not a Belgian one, it's a Dutch one, that trust comes by foot, but it leaves, leaves by horse. So it's something that's really, really um, important that you take your time. And if you're a startup and you need to scale in a new domain, a new region, a new country, it takes time to do it. And that's what we actually already have done for you because we have a lot of local people in the market that are part of the community. 
but we still fraction, we work fractionized. So we think global, but we act local. You also do prospecting for your clients because I see I see you as expandy here. Is it just a conference or do you also do a classic SDR as a service as an agency? It, it's part of what we do. So I explained to you the, the events. I explained what we do with the banks, the ongoing conversations. But then I thought it's not enough in order to do sales. So you need to have focus and dedication on a client. And that's why in the 3,500s, we also offer one day a week that there is a, a guy, a girl, a person doing lead generation on your account. And that's why uh, indeed you use tools like uh, automation tools, like everyone knows. But at the, at the same end, the people that are doing it, these are actually very enthusiastic people in the fintech arena, and they don't mind to pick up the phone. So you basically still have a business developer that doesn't mind to do cold calling. So it's not like um, a very typical lead gen company that, that you find many in, in a dozen that maybe even use fake accounts to do reach outs. That's not what we do. It's literally, we continuously build on our trust and constantly work on our relationship. You also partner with a podcast agency. I use Apollo for my outreach mm -hmm. and the main offer that I outreach with nowadays, uh, which is complicated to have that digested by founders, but it's let's, let's have your podcast um, done. Right. Cause I think it's one of the most, the, the best um, front end offer one can offer. It's like, I don't know you call uh, now we know each other. We're talking, we're mm -hmm. discussing, we're trusting one another. We might build shit together in the future. Um, what do you think about that offer? Um, to have people start a conversation with a podcast and then convert potentially that uh, conversation into money in some sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I personally think it makes a lot of sense. For one, um, one caveat, it cannot be bullshit. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, you practice what you preach. So if, if it's a real conversation, it does make a lot of sense to do that directly on a podcast. Who cares, right? Because people are just interested to hear content. It's not so much about um, the format, I guess, my opinion. I did some kind of breakdown of what uh, makes podcasts um, good as they are. And I often, I mean, there's, I interview a bunch of folks. Everyone has their opinion. Mm -hmm. I respect um, others' opinion as well. I think it adds value. But for example, the other day I had Jordan Harbinger on Harbinger. Uh, he's a famous podcaster and said that, oh, the, um, podcasts like Joe Rogan, which are three hours, they don't mm -hmm. work typically, but obviously in this case, it works. The genius behind each podcast, I think the main product is the interviewer, the quality of his question, the quality of uh, his mm -hmm. speaking, if he's a good entertainer and great educator. So that makes Joe what what is Joe. Um also, Joe doesn't have like long ass intros, right? Like I think nowadays I listen to new podcasts and they have this two, three minutes intro with like that fancy music. Dude, if I would be here to listen to music, I would go on Apple Music and listen to music, right? So uh, let's let's cut to the chase. But um, what, what do you think about um, podcasting in general? What makes a good podcast or let's let's say it that way, what makes a podcast go from good to great? Mm -hmm. Well, I also run my own podcast, which is the Connector podcast. And 
I tend to think uh, people like to have short, crisp messages. And I fully agree with you that it's about the type of questions that you ask. And if you ask the right questions, then eventually, well, I look at my own statistics, right? And then I find out that mostly it's 20% me asking the questions and sort of guiding the conversation. But 80% of the time, it's the person that has interviewed is talking. And I have a golden rule for myself. I tend to land on about 10 minutes. So I kind of get the motion going, but then not enough to have people think, oh, I want to get more of, a, of it, right? So you don't bore them at the end. And that's something I've, I've noticed with some podcasts that at the end they keep on going without really having something to say anymore. I think your newsletter and even uh, your podcast to some extent is on Substack, right? Uh, no, it's not on Substack. That that's one of our other colleagues that's um, running his own newsletter, but he's collaborating in the in the connector. So that's why you see a, a newsletter. It's a fintech newsletter, and these guys are doing great work. They're doing this out of Croatia. Really good guys. Really thoughtful also about what's happening and interesting to subscribe. And it's for free. Right, because I'm thinking of uh, merging my whole podcast uh, to Substack. I've been really satisfied with the newsletter part of it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm seeing the the pod here. So uh, generally, it's a bit longer form, uh, 30 to 60 minutes, right? Nah, the one I do, it's it's around 10, 10 12 minutes. 10 and minutes? Holy schnizzle. So that that is like very short. Um, yeah, why, yeah. why so short? Because... Usually what I do is um, I do also podcasting while I'm on, I mean, while I'm on site. So I took, I take my uh, studio with me and I go to conferences and then I ask for a little room, which is a podcast room. And then I'll basically take people in short preparation. And then I sort of have a, an ongoing conversation for about 10 minutes. But as I said before, it, it's really enough to convey the message. It's a little bit short to go in depth. But that's maybe also the effect that we want to get is to, hey, I want to listen to more. This is interesting. Give me more. And so the next one starts. That's the reason. I love this strategy, man. I haven't heard that before. My only con concern with that is how do you know that they are um, valid guests for your podcast without filtering their LinkedIn profile prior and so forth? Mm -hmm. Do you pre-book the podcasts? Yeah, usually I, I go to the organizer and say, well, look, we're coming around. I'll give you a, a nice opportunity. I'll come over and I do five podcasts during the event. And up to you to select in advance, which you think are the most best influential people that you can bring in front of the microphone. Because at the end, I'm doing it together with you. It's good for me. It's good for you. Because it helps them to either, in one hand, to maybe flatter a little bit the very important guests on the other hand it allows them to have a life after the event with content so the the buzz the vibe continues to go on and that's why i usually get very senior very interesting people in front of me i obviously do my preparation i usually prepare about seven eight nine open questions on the subject on the topic that they are specialist in and off we go my lack of preparation is my preparation. Um, so quote, <laughs> quote me on that. Um, do you get a free ticket? Yes. 
Dude, I love this strategy. I'm stealing it straight up. So mentioning it on air. Yeah, I'm stealing that from you. Um, me, I wanted to take it to the next level and have my travel nomad van and visit uh, cities uh, this year, New York, SF, and so forth. Interview a bunch of people at the same time. And yeah, I would definitely do it for, for example, the Saster conference, I think was in Europe, by the way, uh, was a big one. Um, thank you for that. The other question I have for you is what's your, your thesis behind being a super connector and how do you become one? I guess um, the thesis behind the, to being a connector, it's, it needs to be in your blood. You have to like people and like to speak to people, connect, reach out, have open conversations, be open about things in life, be respectful. And that I think are the key ingredients of becoming a connector. Now, if I look at the business we're running, then there's a second element to this. It's you need to be passionate about the banking industry and all the change that is coming. So if you take those two together, it's a matter of time. Unfortunately, there's no switch on, switch off button. A lot of people think that is available in sales. And hell yeah, if that would be there, then I would be at the Bahamas and not doing a podcast with you, Charles, by all due respect. But I would be on my lazy ass somewhere else. <laughs> Hi, I, I, would, I, I agree with the points. Um, me, I love humans. I, I don't like to be a super connector, though. Like the less famous I can be, the better. Um, the money is a good part of it. But the part I disagree with is I would be doing podcasts in Bahamas because it's so fun. Um, not the connecting aspect and being on the public spotlight, but me, I'm a, an insights and a learning total nerd. And the smarter I can get, the happier I am, generally speaking. And when I say smarter, it's not only IQ, it's also EQ. You know, it's like demonstration of, of love and spreading that love out there. So mm-hmm. I love podcasts, man. It's like my life purpose. Well, I mean, not life purpose because I, I will do greater things, but it's so fun to mm-hmm. learn uh, with and with like strangers. I mean, you were a stranger a couple of minutes ago. Um, and I think that's that's like a super power brought by technology that not a lot of folks are taking advantage of, advantage of. No, I agree. I agree. And uh, you heard, you said earlier that you're driving a van and you hashtag van life. Well, I'm I'm similar. I also drive a van, a Volkswagen California. So I've done podcasts out of my van, going to conferences, having very odd conversations sometimes because it's a banking scene, you know, they ask you, hey, in which hotel are you sleeping, Kun? Um, <clears throat> That's my hotel. <laughs> uh, it's right on the parking. <laughs> so that, there. that's funny sometimes. There. Oh, but I find that um, serious people, well, some of them are really stuck up, right? I had one of them on my podcast today. So it's just about a bit more psychotherapy work. And, but <laughs> mo- most of them, they're, they love to chill and they love when they meet someone in the industry that they know they can be themselves with, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And the finance industry, there's a lot of bros in there that were there for the cash. And these bros, they're kind of hedonic people and they love chilling as well. Then yeah, it's sometimes you get the stuck-up folks and you cannot get anything out of them and they're like a wall. Um, mm-hmm. But van life, I think th- this is picking up a lot of traction. I don't have my van, by the way, yet. Um, mm-hmm. In Mexico, the cool really? thing, yeah, I can build it in Mexico for less than ten thousand dollars, man. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, so you buy a Nissan um, 3500, I think. I, I would buy that one because uh, literally 30% of the cars in Mexico are Nissans, meaning mm -hmm. you can repair it to a garage, meaning that the market is uh, offers good price. And then there's a guy, so you buy that for 5K or, or six or seven. And then there's a guy that pimps these things for like two to 3K, wow. uh, puts a shower in, the floors. And yeah, I found my guy. Um, just another advantage of, of being here in Mexico. Um, the, the last question I had for you, because I'm seeking to do a book, you know, and I'm, I'm weird. I just want to take all my LinkedIn posts and ask Claude, the AI to that has 100K tokens now to form a book out of all the ideas that I put out there and obviously segment them. If it's not, Claude's going to be another thing. By the way, Claude's not available in Mexico, so I'll need to use a VPN. Um, what impact has your book had on your life so far? Was it hard to do? Was it worth the energy? Did you have any energy ROI off that? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe first of all, um, the book that I wrote, it was and still is a collaborative book. So it's not only me that wrote it, but it's me and my friends that came up with the idea to write a book about RegTech, regulatory technology. For the reason being that uh, when we were on the market, we heard that the definition of RegTech was going all over the place. And at the same time, I was thinking, man, if you're an influencer, also there is an expiration date. So let's do something special. Let's, let's, let's think how we can give something back. And that was uh, the, in the in initial idea of the book. So what I did is I... I looked at RegTech as a definition and I basically looked what are the different topics that are out there in the market, what are very relevant today. And we came up with a list of 25 topics. And out of those 25 topics, I assigned them to very good friends that I had in my network. So I kind of reused the network that I was having already. And in the first book that was 2019, the book was yeah, a little bit of a European game. There was maybe one guy or there was one participant out of the US and there was one out of uh, Asia. But then the second book, which was two, later, two years later, suddenly this became like a very global thing with people all over the place, even regulators like taking part of this book. And at the moment, as we speak, we're writing a new book and I took it even one step further. I, I started the, the book, it's around ESG, sustainability. It's supposed to become the first net zero book. So there will be offsetting of everything that's been spent or spilt on the book, carbon oxide. But I did, I, I'm doing it with four people and they, those four people are located one in New York, one in the Middle East, one in Asia and one in Europe. And that's me. So what we do is that we do exactly the same principle, but every one of us is going into the markets getting a flavor i for europe getting a flavor with five articles what's happening around the topic sustainability and like this you bring something very interesting together because suddenly you get a view on how sustainability in this case is being perceived in all the different continents worldwide and i never had the ambition to make any money out of it it has always been an ambition to to let people know what was going on. So teaching, learning, not only for me, but for everyone. And that really gives a lot of things back. I think you you kind of deluded by giving things is nice. So yes, there was a, a great level of paying forward because 
at the end, many of our authors have been asked to be in panels, invited into conferences, even some did business out of it. And that at the end, that's what we wanted to take place. Love it, dude. Um, thank you for sharing that last question. What's mm -hmm. buzzing right now in fintech and especially in Europe? Hmm. So definitely one of the things it's uh, sustainability. I mean, Europe has been the first continent that uh, said that would be completely net zero by 2050. It's called the Green Deal. So a lot of it is happening today, not only in Europe, but also in the rest of the world. But a lot of that is, is, is happening here. What you also see, and then you talk more about the technical side. Uh, today, um, in the banking industry, um, we had a notion called open banking, that banks had to open data to one another. And so fintechs could take advantage of that. And what you see now as a next step in the market is data collaboration. So the idea that you can collaborate on data without jeopardizing any of the privacy of that data. And that's really groovy. That's cool stuff. Thank you for your time. Quone, where can people find out more about you? Oh, it's very simple. You just Google my name and you will find me. I'm very much very, very, a lot of places.